Welcome to the Vismaski Classics podcast Ushatu Levi. Vismaski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 15 races in 12 event locations bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger series, portray the legends of the sport and help you to become a better skier. Hello folks, once again and this is Usha Tulevi Visma Ski Classics podcast. I am your host Teemu Virtanen and my guest today is pretty much a rising star, although I don't really want to call him a rising star because he has performed so well. Team Ramutten's Johannes Eklöf. Good to have you on our show. I know you're somewhere there in Sweden and sorry Norway getting ready for a roller ski race. Yeah, uh thanks for uh, having me. Uh we're uh, here at the Topirotsvecka and uh we have been on uh, quite an adventure me and Max uh, going from the Swedish championships and uh, uh traveling by car through through Norway and uh like stopping at some cities and uh yeah, now we're uh, getting ready for the races here. So for the audience out there uh, of course when this podcast comes out this particular race is already uh, in the past uh, but you are facing now this race and you just mentioned you had couple of roller ski races just before this and more to come Alien Sloped actually I think this will uh, come around uh, come out around that time to have that many roller ski races back to back is that kind of a uh, intentional plan for you just to do you feel that training wise it's a, it's a good move yeah uh, i think so because the training season is so uh, long this year uh, you want uh, you want to train uh, from from uh, june uh, until uh, almost until uh, january i think so it's good to like divide it into two parts where the first part uh, is before the races and the second part is after the races and you get like uh, to fill up with some motivation and uh, like check if if the first part has gone well and uh then you can really focus on doing the extra uh going the extra mile uh on the second part of the ground training season. So we can definitely talk about the races that's already behind you not that much about the ones that are coming up. Uh you mentioned the Swedish nationals but also the uh, the Plink Festival and uh, the Plink uh, 21 you did really well there but that was kind of an interesting weekend you had that uphill race 7.5 km really steep uh, hill and then that relay i don't think that that has ever been uh, tried before in that type of format tell us about that a little bit first the uphill and then the uh, the relay race that you guys had yeah it was really fun and uh like the competitions they were so well uh, organized and the first yeah just going there by boat to the first uh, race uh, it was amazing you pass through the all this scenery and uh, then you come down and uh, uh to the bottom of the hill and you like feel uh, the excitement going up in the group and uh yeah i just just try to uh try to find a okay position in the the first part of the race uh, i thought it was uh, like they uh, they uh, went really hard uh, up to the first sprint and uh, uh, after that it like we went into a tunnel and i uh, i felt that 
Uh, I'm I'm quite strong today, I think. So I'll uh, advance in the group and uh, try to get to the front. Uh, and then when we got out of the tunnel, uh, it was another sprint um, where uh, Musgrave and uh, Morton, they went away. Uh, but then I felt that uh, maybe I can try to catch Morton and Ivan uh, Hull. And uh, yeah, I, I just felt strong after that and uh, just tried to uh, not go over the, the boundary, uh, try to have control all the way and uh, then try to do a little, little bit of a sprint finish. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really good to have that, to get the, the like uh, beating Johan in, in, the, in the sprint and uh, get the position on the podium. So that uphill, I mean... Uh, for Norwegian audiences, they had the live broadcast and all that. But for uh, for us uh, in other countries, uh, we we don't know much that much that much about that particular hill. Is it like constant climb, or was it steep? Uh, partially, what kind of a climb was it? And it was a mass start for you guys. It, it, it yeah, seems. it was a it was a mass start. And uh, the challenge with it is that it's like really constant. It's. Uh, from when you enter the the hill, it's like constant uphill, maybe ten percent elevation uh, until you cross the finish line six uh, kilometers later and uh, six hundred uh, height meters. So uh, you never get any rest. It's like constant going up, up, up until you and you feel you feel uh, the tiredness uh, going up in your body, and you have to just <laughs> try to stay calm and do exactly uh, as much as you uh, can uh, control. What kind of skis did you use for those? Yeah, it was a classic skis, but uh, without the brakes when you uh, push backwards. So they they rolled um, as good backwards as, as they did forward. So no kicking there for you guys? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, like when you put them on for the first time, you felt like, whoa, this was not really what I expected. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, when you were in the hill, it, you, you almost forgot about it. But you all had the same. Uh, the, in other words, the uh, organizer handed out yeah. speech to you. Yeah, I think that is important uh, for, a, for a good roller ski race. And uh, yeah. like the, main, uh, the main benefit of having a roller ski race instead of a ski race is that you get like uh, every, everyone has the same uh, opportunities. That's true. I mean, that's uh, one thing that I like about roller ski race, racing compared to uh, winter racing or skiing on snow is that everybody's kind of equal there. You know, have the same equipment, uh, the kind of the big hoopla about the waxing and the ski selection fades away. Yeah. And uh, like for us in uh, Romoden, uh, we know that Gustav has always prepared good skis, but it's but it's nice just to know that everyone has the same uh, chance. And then after that uphill race, you guys had that relay. Eight hours and change, ex constantly changing, exchanging. That must have been tough on a psyche as well, because you always have to be ready. Yeah, that was like the main challenge that you, you can't really rest because uh, you have to like follow what other teams do and then... Uh, if the if like Max comes in for a, an exchange, then uh, maybe I should go out and start, or maybe Lina should start, or uh, maybe he will go another loop, and uh, you just go back into <laughs> sit and rest. So it was like eight intense hours. 
Do you think that that type of uh, format could be used in other races, maybe even ski classics on snow as well? Yeah, you would have to have a good uh, exchange and the resting place where you can get uh, warm between the laps, because uh, uh, otherwise you would get really cold, I think. But if you manage to have, find a good uh, place uh, for the resting, then I think uh, this would be really cool, because it was like so uh, so fun and uh, so much so much things that should go right, like tactics and uh, everyone in the team has to do their part. Indeed. I mean, it sounds like an interesting concept uh, and we always need new things. Uh, roller skiing in general and racing in roller skiing. Uh, now you have this long stretch. You have a lot of races back to back, about five uh, weekends. Do But how close do you think or do you feel that roller skiing is to the actual skiing nowadays because of the double poling and the kind of the development of this uh, roller skis and all that? Are we pretty much talking about almost the same sport? Yeah, I think so. Now uh, they have really come close uh, when when you just double pole uh, in the in the winter. Uh, but I think maybe there's a little bit of an, uh, an advantage to being uh, fast and uh, strong that you don't uh, get uh, really as much uh, when it's uh, winter and slower conditions. So it's uh, the courses have to be really tough. Uh, in uh, in the summer to uh, stand up against uh, the winter uh, skiing and competing. And which one of these races uh, is kind of your f- favorite? Allianz Loppet is coming and, and so forth. And then Klarabes Loppet in September, that's coming up too. Uh, quite many good races. Yeah, uh, I've never done Klarabes Loppet, uh, so uh, that will be uh, interesting. Uh, but I've done Allianz Loppet several times and uh, I know that like the all the things around it, they are very well organized uh, as well. And uh, yeah, it is a course that uh, is challenging because you have like the the real uphill, and then you get uh, a lot of uh, kilometers where it uh, pushes together the group again. Uh, so you have to be like, uh, if if you want to break loose from the group, you really have to be decided to do it and uh, give it your all. And then finally, before we leave this subject and move on to the, uh, you know, the actual skiing and last season, what's your thought on on roller ski races being now part of the Bisma Ski Classics challengers and you guys getting points and this becoming more validated type of sports, not just the training method for you guys, but it's also this all these summer events getting quite a lot of yeah. audience as well. Yeah. I think it's super good because uh, we train like uh, uh, almost eight months of the year uh, for uh, just a few months of uh, competing. So if you get to compete in the summer as well, you, it feels like you get get more out of your training. And uh, I think that maybe uh, competing in the summer is like maybe more easy for the amateur skiers. They are, it, it is so easy to just go and put on some roller skis. Uh, you can do it like everywhere, uh, so it's good that uh, it is becoming uh, also a valid way of competing. Because I think that we can uh, make the sport grow uh, in the parts where there it, it isn't so much snow. So would you mind if there was a, like a separate roller ski tour, like kind of like the pro tour in the winter, but we had 
Visma Ski Classics summer tour, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I think it would be cool, but but you have to make it quite short uh, and uh, really make sure that you get like all the good athletes to come. So it's so it uh, have uh, like a good quality and not get a second uh, grade uh, uh, competitions. But it so could be you... like these five weekends, like a really short one month period or something like that. Yeah, uh, I think maybe even shorter because. Uh, uh, like most uh, traditional skiers, they aren't really used to competing so much in the summer. So it's it's a big leap to go from nothing to five weeks. Uh, but yeah, maybe three or four or five weeks. Okay, that's good. But next, we'll talk about last season and your performance and your expectations before the season started. And of course, your expectations for the upcoming season. So that'll be next for us. Last season, it was actually pretty good. I mean, not that many people probably realized or maybe even paid attention to to your uh, performances. But when I look at the results, you finished eleventh. Uh, you were actually ahead of Max uh, Max Novak, your teammate. So looking at your results uh, from last winter, twenty twenty one, you started out really well. La Diagonela eighth, then Topla Cortina fifteenth. Not as good, but still a really good good race there. Machalonga, 11th. Iseska Paresatka, 13th. Then you did a, a Bessermed Lopet, which is a challenger race. You finished third there. And then 17th, Vasa Lopet, which was... Uh, and then Volodaus, Rene, 20, 21st. Those two are your worst results. And then the last two, Tos Olsen Criterium, 64, and the 100K, Orefes Lopet, 10th uh, in uh, both of those races. So overall, pretty good. I mean, top 10, three times, top 10, uh, then 11th, 13th. I mean, you're right up there. Really good results. But of course, I know that you expected a little bit, like, even more. Yeah, it's it's hard to say that I expected more when it was my first season uh, as uh, fully uh, going for uh, long distance races. But, but yeah, I think during the summer, I felt really good. And uh, I hope that... I could uh, get up to, like maybe have a even have a chance on the podium uh, on some race, um, but I think this is a good starting point. Uh, like having the uh, the evenness of the races, like uh, it's it, it it is right. You don't uh, you are maybe a little bit invisible if you if you just go around there like tenth and uh, fifteen and like that, but. But I think it's a good starting point if you want to aim for uh, the podium uh, for the next season, I think. And of course, you have Max Novak in your team as well. And Max performed so well the year before, a couple of fourth places, and he was the kind of the rising star. Everybody ex ex expected him to do so well. Must have been a bit disappointing for him as well. But how did you guys kind of, before the race, how did you guys work out the tactics and stuff? Did you work together? Yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a weak point because I think that both me and Max felt that we hadn't really uh, got the race that we wanted to have. Uh, so we tried, ah, yeah, I think that we tried to uh, like focus on our own races until we thought that we had got a really good race. And uh, maybe we weren't really uh, like we didn't want to sacrifice our own race uh, for the other one, really. 
but but we tried to discuss like where do we think that the the breakaways will come and such things but but uh, i think that if one of us had got the podium like in the beginning of the season that we maybe could have helped each other more after that but now it felt like we uh it was something missing for the for the really good uh like races and to get yeah you have to get there to be able to uh to help uh, each other because you both are really strong skiers and you can definitely when you cooperate you know you can find a way to maybe even a breakaway or find a way that you both can be on the podium or close to the podium at least yeah i think and uh, now that herman has seems to have taken such a step this summer i think that the three of us really could cooperate really well and uh, maybe even try to like do a breakaway and uh, yeah i think our our uh, options are uh, much better this season so how much does it actually help you as a skier when you have strong teammates herman and and max out there even if you didn't manage to to work together as well as you you hoped for but still knowing that you have these guys around you have a good team you inspire each other yeah it is a comfort to know that uh, they are around me and uh, if i want to uh, like step into the track before them they will always let me and like uh, of course is like really inspiring to see to see them uh, compete compete as well as they do and also during training we could help each other because uh, when you're away for such a long time you have to do like most of the training together and try to push it each other between the races also so that is really helpful so let's go through that uh, those races of the whole season uh, uh, one by one not in too much detail but let's start with la diagonela the, the really cold race that was your best eighth there what do you want to say about that particular race when the season started out <laughs> Yeah, that was a kind of a surprise for me, because I I got down uh, to uh, to Switzerland like uh, maybe a week later than the rest of the team, and when I got down, they were uh, like all adapted to the height, and I felt like they are going so fast uh, during the like the easy sessions, and like <laughs> what has happened with me? Am I worthless almost? And then like almost the the day before the race, I felt like. Uh, yeah, something was different, and uh, but still during the race it didn't felt so good. But maybe that was the cold. Uh, but what I felt and what I have felt a lot when uh, when I have my good days is that it doesn't feel like I'm going fast. It feels like everyone else is going slow. So that was really the feeling during Diagonella that it was like easy to go in the group and uh, and uh, I think that like when it was uh, like a ten k left, I. I really felt that I could give it a shot, uh, but then the speed was really high when we got into this uh, steep uphill uh, in the last part of the race. Um, but I, I uh, like, I was almost uh, leaving the group, uh, or like the leading five, six, seven people there. Uh, but I managed to like just stay, uh, like um, almost now in the in the left in the in behind the group and uh yeah well, i was really happy with the eighth place it was my first top 10. what about the cold weather did that bother you at all 
Uh, yeah, it was hard, but I think that it was harder for other uh, other skiers, because I felt that uh, when we got uh, out in the sun after maybe fifteen k's, it was uh, the like the really hard part was over for me then. Uh, then I felt it. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I had I had a toe that was uh, quite white when I get got home, but but uh, apart from that, it was it was good. And then after that, Topla Cortina, 15th, maybe a little bit disappointing after your eighth place to trap that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, like, <laughs> I felt like uh, a bit lazy in the start, I think, that I didn't have like the energy to try to uh, push away other skiers. And because uh, it's, it's a really tight start uh, where it, uh, uh, the, the track gets tight quite fast. And uh, I felt like, oh, it's cool, because uh, it, uh, yeah, it felt so easy to go go with the group the the um, weekend before. So I felt that I can uh, let the group away a little bit, and I will catch them later. It's it's fine. Uh, but <laughs> but I never caught a group. It was like uh, after the first sprint, I just had to uh, to go and. Uh, hunt hunt the group and never get uh, in uh, front but then uh in the end i had quite some good skiers around me so so i was uh, I, w- I was disappointed that i didn't give it uh, a real chance but i was uh i was comfortable with that my body was still uh, okay and of course it was a very different race a shorter race and a tough uphill and and Eremir Vokuev pushed really hard, hard there. Uh, then Machalonga, the first Grand Classics event of the season, eleventh there. Yeah, I think this was the first time that uh, I got really nervous before uh, SK Classics race, because I felt that this was when the season started for real. And uh, yeah, it was it was a race where like everything happened. Uh, there was some. Like so much, uh, the the group was so big that there were people falling and poles breaking and skis getting loose and, uh, like, uh, before the race uh, got really hard, like with the ten k left, uh, like almost everything had happened before that, but uh, but both me and Herman Herman we tried to uh, go for some sprint points, so that was the first time uh, both of us got sprint points. And uh, we we felt that yeah it it was fun to not only be in the group but try to do some things for ourselves. Uh, and then I think the course of Marcelonga it's yeah it's amazing to go to go uh, like through all the villages and things. And uh, I will uh, yeah when we got into the last uphill, I felt that I had a good position, but. Once again, just the steep first part was like too steep. It was it was hard to to go with the with the strong guys in the front. Uh, but then I felt good again when we got uh, past the steep part. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that was a race that I'm uh, also happy with. But but I feel that I can get give it more the next time. It is an interesting race, as you said, a really nice atmosphere and all those villages, but the course itself is a bit tricky. I mean, so fast-paced, the first 10K, uh, some uphills there, but then it's pretty fast, and then the last climb. So, And as you mentioned, usually a lot of people together 
due to the nature of the of the course and the race. So it must have been a, a bit of a ner- nerve wracking for all of you guys. After that, then another Grand Classics event. He says Kabaresatka, thirteenth, different type of race. That one. Yeah, um, I uh, I have uh, skied Yasaska uh, two times and uh, I managed to fall uh, and crash both times. Uh, so. Uh, like after we had passed the first climb, uh, we catched a group of uh, of girls, and uh, somehow uh, it got all uh, like like really tight, and uh, suddenly I was in the snow uh, with some other skier, uh, and then it was like a f- flat out skiing, trying to catch the group again, uh, but it was like I. I caught uh, one people after the other, but not really the front after that. But it is a race that I really like. Like the course is, it is so good. Uh, it it gives you a lot of opportunities. You can, you can go hard in the uphill, so you can have a fast sprint finish, and uh, it demands a lot of you. But but you can also do it your own way, and uh, I think like the. Uh, the organizers are doing really good around it. Like the, the it is a little sprint competition, like two days before the race, and it it is fun to get go there. It certainly has grown into an, an, a huge festival, and you have said that this is a race. Oh, Jessica, but is a race that suits you well, or at least should suit you well. But uh, uh, Lady Lady Lag hasn't really been been on your side, as you just mentioned. But it is a, it should be a good race for you, correct? Like the course and everything. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that I'm uh, a little bit uh, similar to uh, Morten Ede Pedersen. I hope <laughs> that is like uh, kind of my role model in uh, Ski Classics. Because the races uh, he is good at, I think I can do them well as uh, uh, also well. And you also got to ski uh, against him uh, the, the, you know, just uh, last weekend, you know, the... Yeah, the, the relay race that you guys did. Yeah, uh, that was really nice, uh, knowing that I don't have to go away, go away from him. I just have to follow him, uh, and then Max uh, will will probably take care of it uh, for the last uh, lap. Exactly, and that's what he did. Continuing on after Isis Kapadesatka, of course, then the king of the ski races, Vasaloped, seventeenth. I know that you, for you guys, particularly for you guys uh, coming from Sweden, this is the race. It's the race for everyone, uh, pretty much. 17th, I'm pretty sure you're not that happy with that. But then again, the race was really fast-paced. Uh, yeah, darling, broke the record. You guys had, like, really icy conditions. I mean, the fastest ever, three hours and 30 minutes and 39 seconds. I mean, really fast race. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's challenging to go that fast. Um and Vasaloppet is, is the race that got me into long distance skiing. I have done uh, Vasaloppet six times, I think. And uh, like that was that was the race that made us uh, as traditional skiers do uh, some double polling and some long ses- sessions just to get to ski Vasaloppet every year. And uh, even though <laughs> this was maybe not the the result I have dreamed of, uh, it was my best race uh, in those six years. And uh, I think it is a challenging race when it's so long. You like it feels like you can't uh, have energy all the time. You will have some uh, some ups and downs, and 
to realize that you can have an up uh, after a down, that is that is hard. Um, so, uh, like, uh, after Waterfjell's Loppet, that was like the first time that I realized that maybe I can actually uh, manage the whole Vasaloppet course. Otherwise, I feel, I have felt that maybe it is a bit too long for me because I always get tired in, uh, like, in uh, Eldris or uh, Hökberg. But this year was different. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I still got really tired, but but uh, the pace was so high before that, so we were quite a small group uh, when I got tired. And I, I felt really good, uh, like in the uphills, Lundbeksbackarna, uh, be, before Oaksberg. And uh, yeah, I, I am quite happy with Vasaloppet, uh, even though like the result wasn't the best. But then, of course, after Vasaloppet, uh, the rest of the, the the last part of the season changed pretty drastically. We didn't have Birkebeiner, Rennet, Ulas Levi, Reistelöpe, and so forth. Uh, but you guys moved to the uh, the kind of the same area uh, in Volodal and that uh, or Ore that area, and then Volodal Dals Rennet was the first one. Uh, and then you had two races back to back as well. So it was Austin Criterium 64 right after that. And then finally, Orefes Lopet 100k race. That weekend before Orefes Lopet, Volodals Rennet and Tos Austin Criterium 64. 21st in Volodals Rennet and then 10th. But, but racing back to back, that's a kind of an interesting, something that we haven't done in the past. No, uh, and I thought it was interesting too, and I don't think uh, that I uh, like have all the information still on how my body reacts to racing uh, back to back. But like uh, obviously, it uh, you know, it uh, uh, seemed to fit me quite well. But it was uh, <laughs> you were not really uh, eager to go racing again uh, after the first finish. Um, but but it was like really fun and I think that maybe the pace was a bit slower uh, due to that almost everyone had competed two days but I think that uh, it showed that the skiers that hadn't competed the first day they didn't have much of an advantage really uh, it was like when the pace is a little bit slower um, you could still do really good even if you're like a little bit tired on the starting line. And the Vorderdals Rennet, that was a pretty tricky one because the last, because it was divided into like three loops, two times that one where you had the up uphill and then the, the final loop of the lap, which was completely different. I mean, the conditions. Was that the reason for your, that was the last, or the, the worst uh, place for a position for you that season? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I did go really hard uh, in the uphills. And we, we were like uh, a group of, I don't know, 10 to 15 people uh, after the second climb. And I felt that, yeah, this is... I have really spent a lot of energy, but uh, I I thought it was worth it. But then when you got into the like last loop and the, the snow was so slow... Like then people started catching from behind and uh, that was really tough to have uh, first like the you spend all the energy in the long uphill and you feel that yeah I'm tired but I'm doing okay and then then you, uh, the race just like stop I think and the, the skiers catch from behind. 
Yeah, like uh, Oscar Cardina, I think it was like three minutes behind and he uh, caught up with you guys and skied on the podium. That's impressive as well to not to not give up when you're three minutes behind. So, so that's good. Uh, and I think another uh, interesting thing was that uh, Jens Burman, the traditional uh, skier uh, from the from the national team in Sweden, uh, he he's really good, and he he went with kickwax uh, up the long uphill, and uh, I I probably I think that he uh, went really hard, but still it was like only um, like less than a half a minute that he managed to get away from the group, uh, even with kickwax when all everyone else was double pulling. Indeed, and and there was pretty much the impossible for him you know after that you know because the, as you said the last lap was so slow and and he even broke his pole but good to ha- it was good that he was there uh, yeah. you know fighting against you guys uh, then the day after those also and criteria we talked about that a little bit but you were 10th there so then you and you said you felt pretty pretty strong even if uh, for second day racing yeah and i think that the thing i uh <laughs> we'll have to uh, improve, uh, like in the races that are that way. Is that that I really have to uh, push uh, from the front uh, in the last part and not just try to uh, save energy um, when I'm the most tired. Because um, w- when I am tired, then uh, probably everyone else is tired, and that is when you can actually do a difference with a uh, going hard. And then you had a week to relax, didn't really have to go anywhere because you stayed in the same area. And then you had the Orepel Slope at 100k race and tough conditions. Your time was like five hours and five minutes and six seconds, and you were 10th in that race. Your comments on, on the 100k and the whole race? Yeah, I think it was spectacular to go that far. And uh, in, in, the, those, in that train, because it was uh, like tough train and uh, I I felt that uh, already after five uh, or 50 Ks it was uh, I was beginning to feel really tired uh, and then uh, like maybe uh, 10 Ks later I I felt good again and uh, that happened several times the the ups and downs and it was uh, I, you learned a lot from from feeling that and uh, like realizing that you, uh, it's not over uh, when you're when you're tired the first time, and uh, but I felt like the uphills there they were really fun to go, um, and we also it was like a, like a close fight for the for the team victory. So we had we knew uh, the guys that we we have to take some points at the sprints and the climbs uh, to uh, to be able to win the competition. And uh, that was fun as well, going going for those things. Speaking of which, since you guys uh, won the the overall, the you were the best uh, pro team. That must have been, well, of course, before the season started, that was probably your goal. But still, quite a feat that you guys did it. And and so within your team, when you finally got it after that race, just tell us about that kind of overall feeling that you all got you know that finally we are number one it's because it's been a while it's always been pretty much the Rakte guys you know or or yeah. uh united bakeries then moved to team uh, team kuteng yeah 
Oh, it was it was really good to get uh, the team victory to Sweden and to our team, and uh, maybe like it was some relief, but I think that we were like the main feeling was happiness that we we really managed to achieve achieve this, and uh, maybe before the season, uh, we really believed that we could do it, but I think we weren't we weren't favorites favorites at all to do it, and. Uh, yeah, it it is of course uh, very much thanks to the girls who did a really good job, and uh, yeah, it is. I'm just happy to be part of of a team with uh, so strong girls. They were really strong, of course. Uh, there's so much, so much has been said about your team and interviews, and also Gustav's been our podcast guest and. Uh, all the girls and so forth. But what do you want to say about Team Ramud and as, as a team for you? Yeah, I think it is, uh, it's like really good to have a balance between uh, girls and boys in the team. Because I think we, we get along uh, very well when we're away, uh, staying together. And I also think that like uh, we as persons are maybe more similar to each other than uh, than uh, what it seems or than than what other others think and uh, yeah I think it's just like really a good uh, good feeling to be to be part of the team. Did you guys, you and Max and Herman, ever get a bit of a stressed out or feel a little bit pressured because, as you said, the girls performed so well, so were they pretty much steering the ship? <sighs> Uh, yeah, I think they were steering the ship, but they were doing so so well steering. Uh, so it felt it felt like we we only go along for the ride, and uh, yeah, try to learn as much as possible from from the girls. And uh, I think like maybe the most important thing is uh, is the calm that Lina displays between the the competitions. That like when she knows that she's in good shape. Uh, she doesn't like do anything uh, spectacular she she like just enjoys skiing between the, between the races and i think that is really uh, as um, you can learn much from that and of course gustav's input is uh, second to none you know you mentioned the skis mm-hmm. but everything that he brings to the table speaking of those two gustav and and lena and you just told us about their kind of their Lena's uh, input. But what else have you learned from those two or how have they helped or inspired you to be to become better? Yeah, uh, like it is really inspiring to have someone that is the best in your team. Like everything from training to uh, like the tactics and the how they talk and they have skied like all the races so they so, so i just listen when they when they uh, describe the races and what has happened the years before and uh but like also uh, making it closer uh, to reality or closer to you to have someone that that is the best uh like you know that they are not some kind of uh superhero that is like impossible to become yourself but you know that they are they are <laughs> they are a real person who who has uh, done like the things that uh, I 
I hope that I can do as well. So Team Ramud then was a good home or a good choice for you to, to kind of face the first season. Now going back, we just went through all the races, uh, but overall, was there anything that kind of surprised you about the Pro Tour Bismarcky Classics? Anything that you want to, that, that took you by, by surprise and was a little bit different than you expected maybe? Yeah, I think, uh, like I thought the pace would be harder overall than it was, than it has been. Uh, like now uh, it can, yeah, it feels like sometimes the pace is quite slow and uh, like uh, the group, it is like <laughs> people making jokes and uh, you're just uh, sometimes just skiing there for fun. And then like all of a sudden it is super hard pace. Uh, up and uphill, so that the difference uh, in the speed is uh, greater than I thought it would be, and uh, that also means that it that it is easier to follow the group in the beginning of the race than I thought it would be, because I thought that uh, uh, yeah, like like a big surprise for me was that I feel that I can actually become like one of the top skiers uh, in another way than I than when I was a traditional skier and. You have to go through all the, all the national teams and uh, like it is, even if you become like one of the best Swedes, you have, you have a, a lot of Norwegians to beat and Russians and so. But Ski Classics, I think that it is a little bit more varied who wins the race, because the, the laps or the, the courses are so different from each other, and I think that is really a great thing. So basically you're saying that you also have to be alert because anything can happen. Courses are different, Sp speed of the tempo seems to be changing all the time. So yeah. you need to be more ready. Yeah, to yeah. and uh, also a, a skier that is maybe not the best uh, on the paper beforehand can with a really good tactic uh, manage to win the race. And I think that is really a, a strength of the sport to have, to have like a bit, little bit of unexpected things to happen all the time. So, which one of the races or events was your favorite or you liked the most? Of course, you didn't get to do Raistele, Peru, Les Levy, Birken, and so forth. But based no. on what you did this winter, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I will go along with almost everyone else and say uh, Marcia Longa. Uh, and even though uh, uh, the restrictions and such did that uh, the atmosphere, uh, I think the atmosphere is like uh, much better in uh, a, a normal year. But still, to go through all these valleys and uh, villages and uh, tunnels and bridges and uh, have this <laughs> big group of skiers uh, where you have to uh, like stay focused all the time and. Then you have this really hard uphill where, where the strongest guy win. Uh, that is, yeah, I, th I think that is the perfect race. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it seems that everybody like likes or loves uh, much longer, not just you guys, but also the regular mm -hmm. folks. Recreational skiers tend to love that race. The, the atmosphere, you know, everything about the race, of course. But good. So that's the last season. Next, we'll talk about training. I know that you really love training. You train hard. <laughs> so that'll be next in our, in our agenda.
you are a training animal, aren't you? You like to train like uh, uh, over a thousand hours, thousand and hundred uh, hours, or something like that every single year, and you do like what close to hundred hours uh, per month in the summer. How come you train so much? Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, it is like it has been a, a journey, maybe like uh, always with a uh, with a goal set uh, far away in the in the future. And I think I've just like trained a little bit more every year. And when you do that for a long time, you you uh, end up training quite many hours. And uh, I think that. It has suited me because I have become better for for every year, uh, and the bet the more I train, the better I've become. Um, but I think that <laughs> you you can't just uh, stare at the the hours and think that that is the secret. You have to you have to train as much as you can, but still be able to uh, do the hard sessions good and uh, have the focus on them. I know you have cut down your training a little bit, like five hours uh, per week because of these roller ski races, correct? You want to do well in, in those ones too, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it, uh, it's uh, not, uh, not worth it to compete if you're not like uh, ready to, to, uh, to achieve or uh, like you have to be, uh, you, you can't be tired if you want to perform. So if you do that many hours, so how do you kind of divide it up? Uh, of course, most of it goes to the aerobic, you know, the endurance uh, training. But tell us about a little bit about the kind of the variety of your training. Yeah, it has become uh, much more double polling the last uh, years, and uh, but but I still want to uh, to be able to run. Uh, run good in uh in like intervals and such so uh so i try to uh, also keep some running and uh like maybe the thing i'm best uh with uh, at uh, when it comes to skiing is uh, skating so so i want to keep that as well because i think that the skating is uh, uh is where i have the most natural uh, talent to to like uh train and train uh, beautiful view to max and so um yeah it's mostly double polling but also some running and some uh, skating and i try to like focus on uh, three hard sessions a week you do that every week you don't have like block training that you do a lot of intensive trainings in one week and then you might have a, a quantity a week and then so forth or just always three no. no i've tried that as well and uh but i think for me it is the thing that gives the most results is to like have the continuity to work uh, on uh, the same things for week and week and week. Because, um, yeah, for me, uh, it is better to have like one uh, really hard session, like uh, the intensity level five, and then one uh, threshold act and uh, some, uh, yeah, and uh, a third one that is a mix between the two. So do you, since you have three of those per week, uh, how do you change them? Or what kind of intervals uh, trainings do you have there? Yeah, like maybe uh, uh, every other week I do 
long distance with intervals and uh, yeah I know that uh, many skiers do do those uh, sessions like uh, more often than me but I do them uh, every other week it's like the those short intervals where you go for 30 seconds and rest 15 seconds and do that for uh, uh, many times and uh, then uh, I try to find like the local uphills for where you ski like six times ten minutes uphill and uh, but um, yeah and uh, like some uh, four minutes intervals with running as well. Do you do running uh, the Nordic running or the running with poles? Yeah, I do that as well, like both. And uh, but maybe. Um, for the last years, it has been like the um, the hardest sessions where I go like three or four minutes uphill uh, on roller skis, like uh, all out. That has been uh, my um, my spe- specialty or my special thing that I that I go that hard in the summer as well. Speaking of which, I know that that's something that you've been focusing on to increase your capacity, uh, double pulling capacity on steep hills. Isn't that something that you have put particular focus on this summer? Yeah, that's true. Because I felt after Diagonella and Marcelonga that it was the steep uphills where I have to become better if I want to finish uh, on the podium in those races. Uh, but I think that most of that work is still left for the autumn, uh, for the autumn sessions. And uh, I think that now is. Uh, uh, when uh, I really start the hard work after the competitions here. So have you used like a really short and steep hill for that or longer hills and you go fast? Or what type of trainings or workouts have you used to improve your double pulling capacity on steep yeah. hills? Yeah, I've, uh, I've done both because I, I think that uh, you can't like show only one kind of interval and then you do that uh, like every week because the the danger with that is that you get too good at like uh, just that thing just the let's say two minute intervals in that particular uphill so you have to mix between say like yeah like two minutes all out uh, in one steep uphill and then then you do some uh, some uh, threshold where you put in some really part a uh, really steep uh, part of the a hill where you go a, a bit harder and then you have during the the mixed sessions where you go both long and fast you you try to get in some uh, some steep uphills in, in the end where you go like 40 seconds uh, work and 20 seconds rest and repeat so if you have these intensive sessions three times a week then the rest is of course something else strength training aerobic long uh, distance on endurance training. Tell us about those a little bit. Give give us an example of your typical endurance, your long workout. Yeah, the most typical one is uh, of course long distance double polling, like double polling for four or five hours. But I also try to uh, fill it up with uh, like three hours skating and running two hours. And uh, but I also focus on uh, strength training and. Uh, like a speed, I've tried to, tried to develop my speed, uh, so I have a, a specific speed and strength session uh, two times a week. 
uh, also as focus. It's quite interesting that you still keep uh, skating uh, in your training program. Some do, some don't. Uh, like Andreas Nygård, for example, doesn't skate at all, except in the wintertime. Uh, but you do it because you like it. Are you still considering racing a little bit? I mean, it's tough because the season is so you know, tight. But it so- seems or sounds to me that you'd love to have some skating races too. Yeah, I did some skating races before the season began last year. And uh, one of them went really good. So I think I will try to do that first. Uh, try to go uh, in November and December. Go some skating races. And uh, like also if it fits with the calendar, I would like to do a, a skating race uh, in one of the free days in the weekend when we're down in uh, in Europe. Like say if it is uh, a ski classic race on... Uh, on uh, Saturday, then I can maybe find a skating race to do on Sunday, because m- some of the events they do they have double, double competitions. Indeed, they do. Uh, do you do any tough sessions, any intervals, on on? I mean, skate by, by skating. Yeah, yeah. I think that is uh, why I keep it in the in the easy session as well to be able to do the hard some hard sessions on skating because I find that uh, it comes quite natural to me to go skating and then I think that that is what uh, uh, it is a good way to uh, increase my capacity like my my uh, oxygen intake and so what about diagonal striding uh, no that is the thing that I have cut from my training I think you have to, you have to cut something uh, uh, when you do uh, when you go into long distance. And uh, that is the thing that I've cut from my training. So since you train that much, you know, that many hours, uh, of course, not every single thing you do can be pleasurable. <laughs> there has to be some time, you know, and when you're not feeling, uh, um, you know, perfectly equipped, so to speak. Uh, yeah. What are kind of the, your favorite training moments? And then again, what are the kind of the things or methods or uh, workouts that you don't like to do, but you do because you have to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, my favorite moments is when I, when I feel that I can really push myself hard. And for me, it is the sessions where I go both long and hard, uh, or I go long and then I go uh, for intervals in the, in the end of the session. Uh, those are the, are the sessions where I feel that I can, can really uh, get uh, like everything out of what I had have that day. Uh, so those are the favorite moments. And then, uh, like uh, every time that I feel that uh, <laughs> I am not good at this or I can't do my best, uh, those are the workouts that I just struggle with and. Uh, uh, I have tried to uh, go with the double polling machine or ski erg, and uh, I haven't been able to uh, to get that to work for me yet. Uh, but I will try it. Uh, continue to try to uh, to get good sessions from that. So, what do you think are your strengths, and and then again the uh, you know weaknesses? What are the things that you are really good at? in terms of skiing, and then things that you think that you might need to improve on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I think my my biggest strength is that I am quite tolerable to uh, to uh, multiple uh, increases in speed or sprints that I can um, I can feel almost as good uh, in the end of the race as in the beginning uh, no matter how hard it is so uh, when it's like constant or uh, like uh, a speed where you go for some sprints and then it slows down a bit uh, so the group gets together again then I I can uh, still push quite hard in the end of the race uh, so that has been my asset in uh, long distance skiing and uh, but I think that uh, it is still the speed like the top speed that I have to develop uh, both for sprints and uh, maybe even more in the in the start where when it starts off really hard, then I, I have a hard time uh, like uh, finding finding the speed in me. Uh, and uh, also the, like I said, the really steep uphills. Uh, I think that there are skiers who are who have been much better than me at those. You guys or your team, Team Ramudin, has a really an interesting coach, uh, Matthias Rick, also our podcast guest. Uh, what has he? brought to the table what have you learned from him yeah i think it's a philosophy where you where you try to look at at the the like interval sessions or hard sessions as uh as a thing that you just you you uh, you don't have to uh, uh do them like on uh, monday wednesday and uh, friday or so you can you can maybe do three, three hard sessions uh, uh, in uh, three days following each other, or you can do, like, do a week without no uh, hard sessions. It's like a bit more uh, relaxed approach to the hard sessions, and uh, also that it it is uh, it is a good thing to uh, combine, combine the two, and uh, and uh, I I think that the knowledge. Uh, about like when uh, yeah how the cyclists train that they train uh, like uh, a lot of speed uh, with these short intervals and they can do it like all year round maybe even uh, so it has yeah it has put focus on the uh, like really short and uh, repeating intervals and then what about training uh, once a day and twice a day? That also seems to be kind of the philosophy that once a day and a longer session seems to be the name of the game instead of the two two sessions yeah. per day, which is more like the you know the national team yeah. kind of philosophy. Yeah, yeah, I am somewhere in between those because uh, I feel that uh, some interval sessions I just want to focus on the intervals so they become. Uh, short sessions uh, in the morning and then I like fill up with a uh, long distance in the afternoon but but when we are at camps uh, we have been training like almost only one session a day and uh, I feel that uh, you are uh, really fresh every time you start so it's like good for the shape to be uh, on those camps so now based on last season's results now the roller ski races that you are undertaking as we speak and your training it has gone well this summer what are your 
expectations, realistic goals for the upcoming season? Yeah, my main goal is to uh, get on the podium once. And uh, if I am able to do that, then I uh, will uh, try to, to find new goals. Or I, th- I hope that if I uh, can uh, climb the podium once, then it will be easier to do it again. And uh, so, yeah, that is the main thing right now. And then I will have to find, find the goals uh, when, when, uh, if I can do that. That is a good goal, and I really hope that you will achieve it. But the last segment of our podcast is, of course, about you. Who is Johannes Eklöf? That'll be next. You are originally from Jönköping, correct? That's not really, a, I would call, a winter city. No, uh, but we were... Uh... Uh, the first in Northern Europe to have uh, man-made snow for cross-country skiing, so it is. So it has a tradition of uh, like coping with the bad weather and uh, still be, being able to ski. So tell us about that that city and the kind of the surroundings that you grew up and how did you get into into skiing? Because it always fascinates me that so many people from southern Sweden are really into skiing mm-hmm. and there so many people do Vasaloppen and they don't even know. Yeah, yeah, I've also thought about why uh, the interest is so much bigger in the south of Sweden than in the north. And I have um, maybe maybe come to the conclusion that uh, for uh, for kids and people living in the south, it is, it is the only chance of meeting winter is to go skiing like uh, alpine or cross country because uh, that is where the snow is. It is. It isn't winter uh, anywhere else uh, if you're down there. Uh, and in the like in the northern Sweden, you have winter all the time, and there is so many other things you can do with the snow. You can go like with snowmobile, or you can go fishing. And uh, but in the south, it is only like that. That is the only chance of meeting snow. Uh, but but with that said, Jönköping uh, uh, is a really good city for. Uh, for summer training, uh, with uh, a lot of uh, uphills, because it is a, uh, it is in a valley with uh, with like uh, ten or twenty uphills uh, that are about one hundred or one hundred fifty uh, meters of height uh, in both the directions, uh, and uh, I I really like to go there in the summer to do uh, to do the training, and uh, we also have a lot of uh, good um, good roads for all the skiing on. So where do you live now? I know that you don't live there anymore. Are you studying as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I live in Umeå uh, in the northern part of Sweden where they have uh, the skiing university and uh, also a big uh, regular university. Um, but uh, but I like to go home uh, in the summer to, uh, to visit my mom and dad and uh, stay there for like the whole summer uh, to do the training in Jönköping and then come up to Umeå in uh, in the autumn and uh, go for like early snow in November and yeah it's a good city to do to do skiing in also. We'll talk about your studies a bit uh, later on but going back to your childhood living there in, in Jönköping when and how did you get in touch with skiing how did you get involved or inspired? Yeah uh, I uh I think it started with uh, my mom who uh, brought me up in the 
in the early mornings in uh, when I was like six or seven years old and ma- made me do some running with her. And uh, from that I felt, uh, yeah, it, um, <laughs> it wasn't fun at all, but, uh, but I got good at running, like uh, compared to my classmates. So I, uh, so I thought that um, I want to like develop my running more, and uh, I also uh, yeah. So I uh, I find found orienteering or like cross country running with a map, uh, and uh, I did that for an autumn, and then then uh, when it was time for like uh, the winter training, uh, I went to. A, to a training session and uh, like <laughs> there was all these new people that I hadn't seen before and uh, I thought that, yeah maybe those are the guys that will do the running session in the in the winter uh, but uh, but it turned out that that was a skiing club I had uh, signed up to so uh, and then, then it was like the people there they were really really good people and fun to hang out with so I so I uh, stayed in skiing for the for the company and then uh, what about school at that time when you kind of found skiing, you started doing that? Then uh, how about school? Did you like school? Were you a good student? Yeah, I think I was quite a good student. Um, I Yeah, it was easy for me, the things we did in school. Uh, so, so so maybe that was why I chose orienteering um, from the beginning as well, uh, to uh, to be able to like combine running with uh, some thinking and uh, yeah I really liked school when I was that age. So then when you uh, reached uh, your teenage years were skiing then definitely part of your life and you were thinking that this is something I really want to do or were you still kind of searching? No I I decided when it was time for uh, a gymnasium or high school uh, that I wanted to do skiing so I uh, applied for uh, for the skiing gymnasium in Mura, uh, where I uh, got in, and uh, I think it was the last place they had uh, that I managed to get, and uh, then uh, that was like four, four amazing years in uh, in around the the finish of Vasaloput. Yeah, how did it feel to to go go to school there? You know, and knowing that that's the kind of the home place of Vasaloput. Yeah, you could really feel the tradition when you first got there. You like going through the the finish finish line and like knowing that you did you do you're doing all your sessions on uh, on ground that like the legends have have done before you so it's yeah it's amazing and the the whole town uh, really feels like a skiing uh, center in Sweden so did you know back then you know when you were studying at the high you know at that high school that I will do Vasal up at my one of these days <laughs> yeah yeah, both my mom and my dad had done Vasaloped several times uh, when I was uh, little. So I know that, yeah, one day I will do Vasaloped. And uh, yeah, I started dreaming uh, already then about crossing the finish line uh, first. And then, of course, after that, after high school, you graduated, you moved on, you moved to Umeå, and you studying there at the university right now. You, you're starting yeah. to become a engineer, a physics engineer, or... Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, I uh, <laughs> I've always found uh, math and physics uh, interesting. So I uh, yeah I I thought that I wanted to, to do a 
an, an education that was completely different from from skiing because I wanted to have uh, like uh, both worlds and uh, yeah I think in in the beginning it was really hard to uh, to combine the two but now I have uh, like slowed down a bit on the pace that I'm reading on so now it is uh, it is good to have have the compliment that you can like focus on on something else when you're not skiing. Do you probably have about about two years left before you can graduate or? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, it feels nice to uh, to know uh, what I will do the following two years. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, when I'm finished, it's then I really have to decide what to do with my life. So is it, is it a bit of a balancing act to combine studies and competitive skiing? Yeah, it all it it is balance, but it all it uh, it helps each other as well. I think, because I think that uh, I did uh, one year before the studies that I had only skiing, and uh, then you like define yourself so much in the skiing that uh, the only thing that you uh, do is skiing. So when when you're skiing bad, uh, you're only doing bad things, and uh, but when you have both, then you get. You get energy from uh, both of them, but but you have to uh, like accept that uh, maybe you could uh, like uh, fail an exam and that is fine because I'm because then I have my skiing. Um, so you yeah you need to not be stressed out about uh, about combining and uh, and like feeling too much pressure on that you have to perform uh, the top on both. So since you are now studying, so what is the kind of vocation or the profession that you'd like to, like to, eventually get? Yeah, that is what I've been trying to figure out these four years that I have studied, because we like we we become engineers, but what does an engineer do really? Um, and I don't think that I have the answer, uh, like definitely. But uh, but they are starting up a huge uh, a huge um, battery factory. Uh, in uh, in the north of Sweden, where they will uh, uh, build batteries for electric cars and such, and uh, yeah, I think that would be a cool place to work at, developing those batteries, and yeah, uh, yeah helping the world uh, become uh, more sustainable. Wow, that's uh, that's an interesting choice, uh, and of course, your career, your skiing career, will continue for years years to come. So uh, <laughs> we're expecting a lot of you know a lot from you. Uh, but then, besides skiing and vocation, what about family? I mean, you mentioned your own, you know, that mom and dad. But uh, what does that kind of mean to you, the family? And or is it something you haven't really thought about that much? Do you even have a <laughs> girlfriend, for example, right now? Or no, I'm uh, living on my own in Umeå. But uh, yeah, you're I, a uh, single skier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out. But. Uh, uh, yeah, I really hope that one day I can uh, have kids on my own and uh, yeah, maybe they'll try to do skiing or maybe uh, they will probably find something entirely else. They might. I've been trying to get my, my son to ski and he doesn't like it too much. I have to pay him to ski. <laughs> yeah, that's a strategy. Uh, maybe I can learn from that as well. 
what else is important in your life? What else do you do besides studying and um, skiing? I mean, you must meet friends, you know, since you're single. You, <laughs> you need to go out there every once in a while or just meet other people than the skiers and your yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest benefit with uh, studying something else than sports is that you get to meet a completely other sets of friends uh, that doesn't, like, maybe they even don't even know what uh, Vasalopad is. Uh, and that is quite nice sometimes, too, to have uh, to have those friends. And, uh, yeah, I try to hang out with them when I am in, in Umeå. And uh, I think that I still have... Uh, have some of my best friends uh, left in Jan shopping so it is nice to see them in the summer as well and we have a we have a little um, board game community uh, with some of the friends where we have uh, like a club that has uh, uh, yeah gotten some uh, some money from the from the government to to do this so, so that's a little project that we've been having board games that's really interesting but uh, you just said, you know, that they, there can be someone in Sweden who doesn't know what Vasaloped is. I can't believe that. It, everyone <laughs> everyone knows Vasaloped in Sweden, even if you don't do skiing. Correct. Yeah, okay. okay, maybe. <laughs> that's true. But, like, they, they know it's a skiing competition, but that's about it. Speaking of which, whenever you are hanging around with your friends, and what do they, when you tell them or what... Or when you guys talk about what about Vespa Ski Classics or what you do, what do they say? I mean, how how do they feel about it? How how do they perceive your <laughs> profession? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it will uh, change a bit now that uh, the national uh, TV company in Sweden have uh, have bought Ski Classics rights or to to uh, show that on TV because. Uh, uh, you you uh, you notice that when like in Vasalop that is already uh, broadcasted in uh, that on that channel uh, the like the interest is so much higher uh, so I think that <laughs> probably they have seen me as some uh, like someone doing it mostly for fun and uh, uh, but maybe it will uh, be more seen as a profession now. Uh, after um, this change or maybe they think it's this crazy single guy who likes to do these really long distances <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that is true as well uh what about your um heroes people that inspired you not just in skiing but also generally speaking when you grew up did you have any idols or heroes you worship not really worshipped but admired <laughs> uh yeah, I think most of them are from skiing, like uh, Ole Einar Björndalen when I was little, uh, and uh, then uh, later on Sundby, uh, people that like uh, uh, didn't really care about what other people thought were boundaries for uh, how you could train or what you could train or how much, and uh, like <laughs> also my mom is has been a great. Uh, inspiration because she's like she never complains she's uh she's so tough and uh yeah she uh went wassalop at just uh, a few uh, weeks after uh, having broken her uh, her hand and <laughs> i think that uh 
she has shown that uh, you don't have to uh, like uh, care so much that other people think that uh, you're doing something that is impossible. She's a really good role model for yeah. you. You mentioned Sinbi. You must be really excited that he's 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 going to be there. He's going to be racing against you guys. Yeah, that is so cool. And uh, yeah, it, it was will be interesting to see uh, if he can uh, achieve uh, or perform at such a high level that he has done in in traditional skiing and uh, also in Birkebeiner and it before. And uh, I think that he will be uh, really tough to beat. So I know that since you're training so much and studying and all that, and you're single now, so you don't really have uh, probably not much free time, but I guess there's got to be some times when you have to kill time. Uh, so what do you do when you are f you know, facing kind of a dead moment? Do you watch, yeah. listen, listen to music, watch movies, uh, yeah, Netflix? It's, it's TV series and movies. That is uh, my way of uh, relaxing. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of TV. Of course, that's my former business, television, and, and I lived in America, didn't, you know, Hollywood ah. stuff. Um, ah. What kind of shows do you like? Uh, yeah, uh, right now I'm uh, watching Succession, and uh, <laughs> I like that one. So, uh, like, they have to be, uh, like, uh, kind of serious, but uh, a little bit of comedy as well. I think that is the best what about the scandinavian um, shows there are quite many quite many good ones yeah uh, i watched uh to uh, the thin blue line uh this uh spring and uh yeah i thought that was um like you really felt it in in your heart when you watched that it felt it felt so real so that uh, was a series that i can recommend what about movies? Do you ever go to a movie theater? Or is that kind of passe that's that's gone? Yeah, I think uh, it is fun to go there, but uh, when uh, like the main reason is to relax, uh, then you it is easier to just find something on uh, on the streaming platform. What about music? Do you listen to music? And when you train, do you have like uh, or your iPod or something? Yeah, uh, I think I'm more of a podcast. Uh, listener than a music listener uh, so I almost always have uh, a podcast in my ears when I go training for myself what kind of podcast yeah I think uh, about uh, polit politics uh, or politics uh, is uh, like uh, interesting to to stay informed on that topic as well and uh, then I try to listen to some uh, sports podcasts uh, as this and uh like, uh, yeah, mostly it's uh, politics and uh, documentaries. Interesting. I mean, politics, that's not probably something that a lot of people, you know, uh, bring up right away that I love politics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good way to uh, get a view of the country uh, as well through the politics. Like, uh, they have a good good podcast about uh, American politics uh, in Sweden and uh, but uh, I think it also some kind of uh, um, uh, you have you have to uh, it is good if you stay informed uh, in your own politics as well because that is the way we can change society do you think that can you picture yourself being involved with the politics one day 
Uh, uh, no. <laughs> mm, I think uh, right now I'm having a bit of a hard time uh, finding a party that like shares uh, the my ideals. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe if I find something that uh, fits me, I could could do that. But uh, uh, probably more on a like a little bit more discreet level. No, not like a party leader or something like that. So is there anything else you want to tell us about you, you besides that you like politics and, <laughs> and uh, you know, your studies and so forth? Is there something that we don't know about or anyone can really uh, imagine about <laughs> you? <laughs> yeah, that was a good question. Um, I'm... Uh, yeah, I've already talked about my board game uh, obsession and uh, which board uh, games, by the way. Yeah, uh, I've tried to uh, like uh, we have this board game called Secret Hitler, where you play uh, uh, liberals against uh, fascists, and uh, you have to uh, you are like undercover, so uh, it's <laughs> it's a blame game, and uh, I've tried to uh, have uh, Romudan uh, play this game as well. And uh, yeah, you you learn who who are good liars and who aren't. That's really intriguing. That's very intriguing, <laughs> interesting game. Uh, but then, when you look at your life uh, from this point on, you know the next season is coming up to the next five and even more years. Where do you want to be? What's your kind of ultimate goal? What is the path you want to walk on? Yeah, um, I think you have to aim high. Uh, if you want to uh, get like uh, at least a, a bit of the way, so I I am aiming for the yellow jersey in yeah, say in three four years, and uh, it would be cool to uh, to be uh, the first Swedish champion of Vasaloppet in uh, yeah in since Jorgen Brink, uh, but I think the the competition for that is really hard. With uh, Emil and uh, Max and Nils and uh, Gabbe and uh, Oscar Kadin. Yeah, they are, there are so many good uh, long distance skiers from Sweden right now. But it would be like, yeah, that would be a historical moment to win Vasaloppet uh, now. Well, that, that's a great goal, of course. And as a last question, uh, if that is your goal, and then of course your profession eventually when you graduate. What is the kind of the number one thing on your bucket list to do? <laughs> Meaning, thing, uh, something you want to do before you kick the bucket. Meaning, before you yeah. die. Yeah. <laughs> I think I uh, want to, uh, like, uh, get into the uh, history books. Maybe that sounds uh, like overachieving or overreaching, but uh, if I could choose, I would want to. Uh, make some kind of uh, difference for uh, putting the world in the right direction. Yeah, even if that sounds a bit uh, uh, like too much. No, that's, that's, a, that's a grand goal, goal you know. When, so like 100 years from now, when they, when they teach history at school, you know, your name will, will be up there, you know. Johannes yeah. Eklöf, he yeah. was this guy exactly. who did this and that. Yeah. <laughs> Good, very good. I mean, you're an ambitious guy. That's good, good. And <laughs> it seems to me that you have really a good 
good season ahead of you. Still, you need to do all these roller ski races before that. I wish yeah. you the best, you know, all the luck with you and your team. You have a great team as well. So uh, it was really nice to have you uh, on our show. Thank you very much, Johannes. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, thank you for having me. It has been uh, like uh, <laughs> a journey to be here. Good. Uh, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it. And you people out there, as always, I'd like to thank you for, for joining us. Stay tuned for more podcasts. We have these podcasts coming out every single weekend. And if you have any ideas, requests, anything, you can send us an email. And the address is uh, press at wsportsmedia.com. Once again, press at wsportsmedia.com. That is the address for you to send some feedback, ideas, and things like that. Take care and bye-bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.